Hello and welcome to SoupX Radio. I'm your host, Bob Fitz. SoupX Radio is a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early stage entrepreneurship, venture investing, and small businesses in general. For more information, including past broadcasts, future episodes, and our radio network affiliates, please visit our website, www.sup-x.org. And remember to follow us on Twitter, at the SoupX. That's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. Today's episode is sponsored by Silverstream Consulting, a full-service marketing and PR consultancy specializing in guiding startups and professional service firms to marketing success through innovative and strategic approaches to branding, positioning, PR, and more. With more than 15 years' experience and a roster of stellar clients, Silverstream Consulting delivers business-focused results at a fraction of the investment of a full-time executive hire. Please visit www.silverstreamconsulting.net to learn more. Today, our guest is Chike Ukegbu, founder of Startup 52, New York City's first diversity-focused tech accelerator. Chike, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. It's uh, so exciting to be here today. Well, we're, we're delighted you could have you. We had a great time having you down here in South Florida for SUPEX and got great feedback about your participation and appreciate you carving out some time on a, uh, recording days or Sundays for the audience to know and you cutting out, cutting out a little time of your weekend to help us. So, Chike... So, so your build is New York's first diversity-focused accelerator. Expand sure. on that. What, what is Startup 52 exactly? What's its mission? That kind of stuff. I'm sure the audience would love to learn more. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so Startup 52 is uh, a tech accelerator in, in New York City uh, that I launched in 2015 as the first, actually, first diversity-focused tech accelerator. And now our goal is to facilitate or create better access to uh, resources and capital for founders from what we call untapped communities, uh, women, people of color, immigrants, LGBTQ, veterans, seniors, disabled entrepreneurs, and so on and so forth. In fact, uh, our tagline is, if you feel like you don't belong, you actually belong with us. Um, so yeah, that's that's that in a nutshell. So you've been around since 2015. Out of curiosity, as a former resident of the city, where in uh, New York City are y'all? Um, based in Harlem, so the, our office is actually based out of WeWork Harlem on 126, uh, but the programs actually run at LIU Downtown Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the programs, yeah. so you have two facilities? Well, no, so technically uh, office space at WeWork is just an office space. We can run the acceleration program there. So we partnered with LIU Downtown Brooklyn, uh, mm-hmm. the Center of Entrepreneurship, which is where we run our, our acceleration program. It's a three-month, three-month-long program. That's probably a great transition. Why, uh, out of curiosity, can you describe how your program actually works? What goes on in that three months? Sure. So, of course, you know we have the application process, which, in fact, we're currently um, going through now. Tomorrow should be the deadline for uh, the 2017 cohort. Uh, so, people apply, and uh, we sort of look through applications pick out the more exciting ones, uh, interview them, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, come up with 20 that will make up the cohort class. And then from there, uh, first day, we have a kickoff event uh, where we sort of welcome everyone. It's like a party, you know, have a good time. Have a speed dating event uh, where the teams get to meet mentors and advisors and sort of you know, figure out what mentors are right for them, um, niche-wise, expertise-wise, and of course, personality-wise. And you sort of work with that person through the program. Now, 
the way it's designed, we have two days that are focused on um, intensive educational, you know, stuff, right? So the legal, the HR, customer acquisition, uh, growth hacking, um, product development, all of that. So we have sessions on those. We bring in experts who teach um, different concepts on how to build your product. And on the other two days, uh, we focus on, you know, giving you access to investors. So we have investor sessions. Uh, sometimes they're group sessions, others are one-on-one sessions. Uh, some investors are usually sometimes focused on, you know, the startups that are in their space and decide to do one-on-ones with them. Others decide to do group sessions. And then Friday is what we call our family day. That's the day we all come together, we eat pizza, we drink beer, and people pitch. People pitch and get feedback from the entire community. So other startups, mentors, advisors, or you know, whoever is around. And so that's that's the structure in a nutshell. Uh, each startup gets uh, interns, high school, college, and sometimes uh, graduate students, um, and they all have different functions. So the high school students um, for last year, we're not sure exactly how they worked this year, but last year. What we did was for those who had apps and needed, you know, feedback um, or had uh, target markets that were focused on teenagers and millennials and all of that, uh, we had the high school students test out their products and, you know, give them feedback on what they liked, what they did not like and all that stuff. Uh, The college students were more focused on helping you grow your uh, presence, your online presence, social media, all of that, uh, marketing, you know, et cetera. And then the grad students were more technical. So they did the market research, the analysis and data analysis and all of that. So everyone sort of had a role to play, you know, helping the startups uh, succeed pretty much while also exposing them, especially the high school students, I hope exposing them to entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, founders who were working on exciting stuff. So in fact, the first year we had a group of high school students who ended up starting launching their own startup, and we we did let them pitch during demo day, so it was exciting. So the weekly structure, it sounds like, is the same week to week. Is it safe to say that it's just increasingly deeper dives into the same subjects week to week? It's like you're working your way through a class over the course of a semester. So Yeah, so it's not pretty much the same week to week. What we try to do is make sure that you also have time to focus on building your product. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for instance, uh, let's say legal, we have just two legal sessions, two or three legal sessions. And then if you need more help, you can consult with the mentors who are, you know, legal experts um, on what help you need. Right. So some of the sessions are either one off sessions or two or three. Uh, Some of them are longer. I think marketing is about six weeks or so, six or eight weeks, something like that. So some of the things we feel is supposed to help you grow more rapidly, like growth hacking and all that, uh, we we do allocate more time. Uh, But those two days, we try not to go over two sessions a day. That way, you know, you have the rest of the day to work on what you need to work on. Um, So it's it's deeper, of course, as we move on. So the the. The intense intensity of classes in week one, two, three, uh, is is not as intense as week three, two, or week four, two, say week eight or so. Um, and then the last two weeks, we we focus a little bit more on you know your pitch and presentation and 
making sure that your message is on point and uh, and effective. Yeah. And is that effectively what graduation is? It's a you know you have a a pitch event with investors there and they may or may not invest in some of these companies, but that's, that's kind of the capstone. Yes. So we have a demo day that sort of, you know, concludes everything. Um, and the goal is to have as many investors in the room as possible, but that may change a little bit as we move on just because we realize, well, two things For the last two classes, we've had more people at the concept stage. So by demo day, many of them are still not ready for VCs. So the goal now is to put more people in front of potential clients. Um, we did have several curated events. Though, uh, that was the one part I didn't talk about. We usually have events during you know the three-month program as well that are focused on putting you in front of potential clients, your target market. Um, so last year, we had about five or six that were sort of edtech-related. Um, so we had an ed tech event where no investors were allowed. It was just, you know, students, um, higher ed, uh, administrators, faculty, staff, you know, everyone that we thought would sort of fit into, you know, your customer um, profile, you know, we put them in the room and then they had to pitch and get feedback from everyone there. Right. So people told them, well, I love this. I love this aspect of it. I wouldn't necessarily use this. Can you add this to it? Um, to sort of help them, you know, iterate and build stronger products. Um, so we, we tend to do that a lot. And uh, we've been thinking that maybe what our demo day would really be, would be a demo day, right? So put you in front of potential customers, preferably paying customers, um, so that as you grow that portfolio of customers, it becomes a little easier to attract um, more investors. So. Since a few things we're talking through right now, yeah. And, and how many cohorts have you had thus far, Chike? Uh, two. We had one in uh -huh. 2015, yeah, uh, which is more of a proof of concept. There were just four. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2016, we had the second cohort, which was uh, there were 18 of them. Uh, but moving forward, you know, we'll do a class size of 20. And you'll do one a year or more? Uh, more. So we're looking at two. Uh, a year in New York, and then as we start to scale into other cities, then you know we add on those as well. But yeah, New York would be ideally, preferably too. So, why did it come about, Chike? What was the motivation to do a diversity-focused accelerator? I mean, there's tons of accelerators around. Uh, that's uh, that's a billion-dollar question. Uh, well, it's actually prior to Style 52, I'd co-founded a nonprofit called ReLife, and our mission was to empower at-risk and disconnected youth uh, through education, entrepreneurship, and tech. Right, so we considered, you know, those populations in invisible communities, formerly incarcerated, uh, homeless, uh, foster care, domestic violence, you know. Uh, the, the the demographic that we don't really talk about, even though they're able-bodied and, you know, have a hunger and a passion, uh, this is from 2009 to 2014. And uh, one of the lessons, the biggest lessons we learned was that not only were these young people highly intelligent and hungry for, for knowledge, they were coming up with viable ideas, like viable ventures is part of the 
requirement was they had to launch something by the end of the program. So uh, it was an entire semester. The first half was focused on small business entrepreneurship. And then by week eight, uh, the question now is how do you apply tech to your small business idea to turn it into a startup idea? And then we went to like a pre-acceleration program. We brought in investors, they had mentors, all of that. And these are people who, some of them didn't even know what the word entrepreneurship meant when they got into the program. Um, so at the end of 2014, the question for us was, how do we ensure that these ideas, these viable ideas were sustainable beyond our program? Uh, we didn't have any money for them. In fact, we didn't even consider, I guess, giving them the right resources to further what they were doing. So that became the challenge for us. And after thinking about what to do, we decided, well, if we if we launch an accelerator focused on this demographic, that may be the right thing to do. Just give them to grant them better access to resources and hopefully capital to help them build out these ventures. But during the process of that research, we began to learn that there was a lot more that was actually needed, right? So there were several highly educated people, people of color, women, you know, all of the communities that we consider as untapped now um, that had very brilliant ideas but lacked that access, right? If you look at the numbers, it says only 1% of venture capital actually is allocated or is awarded to black founders. For black women, it was even worse. It was 0.2%. Even though statistics-wise, Black women are the most educated subgroup in the United States today. So we started to ask questions. So it definitely was not because um, these people were not brilliant enough. It was just what everyone called unconscious bias. And then we started looking at accelerators and realized that they were just not diverse, period. Uh, for those who try to tackle it, um, they they siloed their solutions, right? So, if they were if their class size was 15, they allocate say three spots for minority-led startups, you know. And we didn't think that was viable enough. That was not the right solution, in my opinion. So when we started to research diversity, we realized, wait, this is actually very profitable, right? Uh, there were several studies out there from McKinsey, from Harvard Business School, Intel. There's so much uh, studies and research done, the benefits of diversity, right? It's profitable. It drives innovation. It's, it, this, this is my own conclusion. It sensitizes us, right? So when you work with someone that you don't know or had negative stereotypes about, and they're able to counter all of that, all of a sudden you start to start to humanize you a little bit more towards people who are different from you are. So it didn't make any sense that no one was really focused on diversity, one, as an investment strategy, um, two, as a way to increase, you know, um, untapped populations in tech and venture capital. Um, so while it was sad that that wasn't happening, it presented an, an opportunity um, that we grabbed by the bullhorns. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. It's a very cool story, Chike, and I'm glad that we have a chance to help you get it out more. Again, we're with Chike Ukegbu, the founder of Startup 52, New York City's first diversity-focused accelerator. Chike, 
okay, this might sound like a silly question, but sometimes simple questions, hopefully there's something deeper here. But what what does diversity really mean to you? And the reason I ask you, and I've told you the story, is I was goofing on the Internet the other day and saw some tech company's website, and it was talking about how diverse they were. And then I worked, went to the team page, and it was like uh, 12 Indian guys. Now, I don't – I mean, <laughs> I guess – so you get my point, right? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, you know, when you go to craft your cohorts, tell me how they're composed and how you try to, com- you know, comprise your groups. And 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 then if you could dive in back to my original point about, you know, you've talked about the economic benefits of diversity. So even someone with no social mission could see a business reason to do it. But tell us a little bit more about all that. Okay. So – I, I love to, you know, use an analogy to explain why diversity is important. Say, if you're if you're trying to build, say, a house, for instance, and your goal is to, you know, monetize it, and this is something that's supposed to be accessible to you know, people who are disabled, but on your team you have no one who is disabled or have no one who has that expertise or experience, right? You have four bodied able men come together to talk about building a house. The likelihood that they will forget everything they need to do to ensure that they accommodate the disabled entrepreneur is very high because that is not a problem they face. They don't wake up every morning thinking, how am I going to get out of this building? How am I going to get into where I'm going to, is there an elevator, is there a ramp, you know, all of that, right? Now, but if you have someone who is disabled on that team, then they can easily say, hey, don't forget, here's the size of a population of people who would not have the same access, you know, or ability as you do. And it's important to think about them in order to ensure that we're inclusive in our solution or whatever. Right. Yep. Same thing. If you have men come together to find solutions to a problem that is specific to women, 99% of the time that solution will be flawed because men are not women and do not experience like them. Right. So having a woman on the team helps to enhance that solution. So from an innovation perspective, diversity is very, very important. Inclusion as well, right? Now, uh, hold on, hold on, stop. I'm sorry, Kike. This is I, this is actually one of my questions. So quickly, yeah. explain the difference between diversity and inclusion. Oh, okay, I've got that so many times. Okay, so <laughs> diversity, <laughs> diversity in most cases um, sort of focuses more on, and, and this is the way I look at it, focuses more on the physical differences, right? Um, so are you white? Are you black? Are you male? Are you female? Um, are you immigrant? Are you not? You know, all of that. Inclusion on the other, on the other hand is a little bit more nuanced, right? So you can have uh, a white male who is an immigrant, right? And has that immigrant experience. But if you look at him just as being a white male, you miss out on that experience, uh, on his ability to contribute some sort of perspective based on his immigrant experience. That's inclusion. Same thing with, you know, white males who may classify as LGBTQ or, you know, so inclusion is more about 
um, I want to say diversity of thought. And diversity is just, you know, our differences, our physical, or what we can see. I don't know if that makes sense. I... It's a fine tuning of what, of what I'm hearing that, you know, like my back to my website example that kind of made me chuckle is the diverse tech company that was 12 Indian people. I guess by including minorities, it would in a way be diverse, but it certainly wasn't inclusive. And I'm, I'm not knocking them. Yes. I just, they were kind of crowing about how diverse they were, but it didn't seem terribly inclusive. And there wasn't a woman on the staff of any ethnicity. So, um, so but I tell people though, if you have a team of four black men, that's not diverse. They increase diversity, you know, diverse ecosystem, right? They, they increase diversity on the ecosystem as a whole, but as a team in itself, that's not diverse. And I tell people, you, you, you have the same blind spot, period, right? Diversity should be on the team, on the founding team. So that's that's the way I view it. Uh, I mean, I mean, it could be inclusive depending on their backgrounds, but just for black men, um, that's not, you know, a diverse team. Yeah, the way I kind of think of it is, is that it's, I mean, it, it essentially blind spots. But you know, if if we all only have vision that say it's 120 degrees in a 360 degree world, then you're going to need people whose all focal point is just slightly different, so you can make up the whole 360 degrees. And all of us come right. with our own blinders, etc. So I guess it sounds like a simple concept. The website kind of started this; it made me chuckle. But I interrupted you a little <laughs> bit. So how do you, so based on what you've said? Give me give me a description of what your typical cohort looks like in terms of the the people or the companies that end up making it in. I mean, of what I heard, it's not you know it's not going to be all black. It's not going to be all anything. It's it, it's, it's a mixture. I would assume. Yes. Uh, so um, before I dive right into that, I'll just give you the statistics of the last class. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So last class we had fifty five percent of our teams had at least a woman co founder or founder. 83% had at least one person of color on the team. 40% had an immigrant. I think 17% had an LGBTQ person on there. 33% had a Caucasian male. And I think 6% or so had someone who classifies as being disabled. Now, the reason why I use that is when we look at, or when we measure diversity, right? We, like I said, it's not about how many black people are here or how many white people or non-white people, right? We look at the team, the individual teams, because that is where we know, the prof- in my opinion, the profitability index or benefits of diversity, it's from that. It comes from that diverse perspectives on the same team. So when we look at teams, when we evaluate teams, um, of course, besides all the other things, you know, all the other yardsticks of you know measuring or evaluating startups, your know, market size, your idea, the team and um, domain expertise, you know, are they the right team? All of that. We look at all of that. And then we look at the diversity profile on the team. So it's not now, just like a, it's not just a super awesome idea all by female founders. So you're looking at not, not only just the, the quality of the business concept but also how they incorporate diversity in the way they've structured their management team? Yes. Okay. Yes. But, so I I do tell founders, because I've had a few people email and say, well, you know, we're all male or we're all female. Does that mean we cannot apply? I'm like, no. What it means is that you have to be able 
to be open at least to diversifying your team as you grow, right? So we have we've had teams that were all males, or even in fact last last class we had an all white male team, right? But what what is striking about them is you know their openness to understanding that you know bringing other people that are different from you is not just a charitable thing. It's not just a social thing. It's for the innovation on your team. It's for profitability on your team. Because what many founders don't you or fail to understand is the more diverse your team is as well, the more it opens you up to other funding channels. There are several women-led, you know, VC or angel groups that are looking for teams that just have women on them. There are several that are looking for teams that have a person of color in them. Right. So the more you diversify your team, the more you're able to go after these other um, funding sources or channels that may not have been open to you if you were not if you didn't have a diverse team. So, Chike, we've only got about 30 seconds left. Unfortunately, this is such a fascinating subject and you're always fun to talk to. So quickly, how do people find you? Oh, awesome. Uh, Chike Okebu, first and last name on Twitter. Same on LinkedIn. And that's spelled um, C-H-I-K-E-U-K-A-E-G-B-U. Okay. Email address is first name, C-H-I-K-E at startup52.com. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash live with Chike. Connect with me. I'm very vocal um, on Facebook. Um, I'm active on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Um, so, yeah. And they can this, find Startup52 simply at Startup52, and that's 52. It's not com. spelled out, dot .com. Yeah. And your yes. application deadline is actually Monday, May 15th, correct? Actually, tomorrow, May 8th. Okay, tomorrow, May 8th. The show will air on May 10th, so that will have passed. Um, yeah. Chike, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and have you. I wish you the most success, and we'll have to get you back and go into the second half of the conversation where we can dive deeper. Thanks so much awesome. for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure.